Good evening. It is great to be here. I had to travel all the way to Albuquerque to spend time with my friend Paul Tripp. Um, so this is a great place. Uh, Paul and I were talking in the back. We hardly see one another these days because he's all over the globe and I'm traveling some but have responsibilities at CCF. But uh, I think the last time we uh, collaborated together in teaching was back in 2007 when we did some teaching in Northern Ireland and London. So it's great to be here uh, co-teaching with Paul again. We used to work together in the basement of CCF for about six years. Um, we had a lot of fun, um, did a lot of writing, a lot of traveling, and um, really appreciate his friendship. And again, just glad to be here with him, but also glad to be here with you all. Thank you for the invite, Ryan, uh, folks of Claris. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I misunderstood you or not, but when you were raising up my booklet, Forgiving Others, did you say that you would hardly recommend it? <laughs> or was there a T? I, I would heartily rec. Okay, good. You know, I, I was, I was, I was going to be patient and forgiving of you in that moment, but uh, so... Yeah, I, I left Philadelphia uh, after having the stomach virus. I, I left it in Philadelphia, but right after that, started coming down with bronchitis. So I'm on a round of antibiotics and steroids. And uh, you'll, pro- yeah, I'm, you'll probably pick up on that in just a little while when I start jumping up and down on the stage. Um, I went to bed last night at 10 o'clock, and I didn't go to sleep until 4 o'clock, and I had to get up at 5 o'clock. So, <laughs> you know... So much for steroids, but they're working, you see? I'm talking, I'm lively, I'm energetic here. Um, I have the, uh, the privilege of introducing the, the subject matter that we're covering uh, this weekend, uh, an important subject matter of relationships, friendships. And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't think about it this way, but 99 to maybe 100% of your life is spent in relationship with another person, somehow. And all of those relationships in different degrees and in and, and, and varying ways are complex and complicated and fun and joyful and struggling and happy and all the things that you could imagine are, are just a part of all those relationships. I think about my work relationships. I think about my relationship with my wife. I have four kids. I have a 21-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son, a 16-year-old daughter, and a 14-year-old son. Um, I'm in, I'm in the midst of relationships every single moment of every single day of my life. And I can't think of a more important subject that we as, as Christians ought to address. And we have a, a book here that puts uh, relationships front and center and gives us so much wisdom, so much practical guidance that is grounded in the grace and power of Jesus Christ that can make our relationships look very different than other people. And, and that's, I think, what we want to, to do uh, this week. And we want to cast vision and we want to give you practical skills. But let me just begin um, by asking you a question. And I'm going I'm to ask for some feedback here. I did this in the UK a couple of weekends ago. And I asked the pastor if I was violating British protocol by asking the parishioners to respond to me during the sermon. And he said in the back, when I asked that question to his congregation, he said, no, later he told me yes. He was, he was being a perfect Brit by doing it that way. He would never embarrass me in, in public, but he would tell me on the side that I was 
violating protocol. He didn't have a problem with it ultimately. But let me, uh, let me ask this question. And, and don't give me the right answer. I, I can tell just by looking at you already in the few seconds I've been here, you're bright people. You're theologically astute. You're biblically grounded. But just, you know, think for a minute. What, what are some of the common reasons or goals that people have for doing relationships, for pursuing relationships, a relationship with another person or other people? What are, what are some of the common goals that people have? What are they after? What's their MO? Just call out. Excuse me? I'm sorry? Need? Acceptance? Speak up? Success? What do you mean success? Okay, good, yeah. Teamwork? Affirmation? Companionship? Productivity, yeah. This happiness? Great. Pleasure? Fun? Right? All of these are wonderful things. And I would argue that these are blessings, but none of them rise to the level of being an adequate and glorious goal for why we pursue relationships. And as we look at the book of Ephesians tonight, chapter 4, if you want to turn there, we're going to see that Paul maps out a glorious vision for why we are to pursue relationships with other people. And, and it, it's interesting, it, it helps us therefore calibrate the good relationships along with the more difficult relationships. When we see the biblical goal that Paul is putting out there for us, and I would argue if we get a hold of Paul's ultimate goal of, of why we are in relationship with one another, then those secondary blessings that all of us called out oftentimes can be a part of those relationships. But if we get those, we get those reversed, we can, we can create problems in our relationships. So look at Ephesians 4. And I want you to, I want you to understand what Paul is doing here. Paul has been flying this, this 757 jetliner at 35,000 feet in chapters 1 through 3, and he's been talking about the grace of the gospel. And it's this wonderful picture of what God has accomplished for us, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then at the end of chapter 3, he just launches into this prayer. And I love the way Paul has all this didactic, rich, theological truth, but it never just stays cognitive. It always goes experiential. And he, and he prays this prayer at the end of chapter 3. And then at chapter 4, verse 1, he says, okay, now, now that you've seen this wonderful vista of God's amazing grace for you in Christ, now I want to talk to you about how you live it out. And Paul is as earthy as the gospel. He says, this is where you live out your Christian life. You live out your Christian life in the body, in relationship with one another. And he focuses on our relationships within the context of the body of Christ. So let me just read verses 1 through 6. Um, and, and here are the three points that I want to make tonight. Why are our relationships so important? Why should we pursue relationships with other people? That's question number one. Question number two, what are some basic gospel virtues or character qualities that are going to enable us to have the kind of relationships where this ultimate goal that Paul wants to see in those relationships happen? 
That's the second question. And then the third question that I want to answer is, who is going to enable us? How in the world are we going to live out those, those gospel virtues, those character qualities, so that our relationships flourish? Those are the three things, and you can just write them there in your blank sheet. Why are relationships so important? What character qualities are essential to good relationships? And what or who is going to enable us to accomplish this in our relationships? All right, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I'm just going to read those six verses. Paul says this. Uh, By the way, I'm reading from the NIV. I haven't been converted to the ESV yet. Um, I'm older than I look. He says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that's, that's Paul's way of connecting chapters 1 through 3 to what he's about to do. I want you to live a life worthy. I want your lifestyle and that word worthy to be as weighty as the gospel that I've just unpacked in chapters 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is a rich reference to the Trinity there at the end of uh, those verses. I like verse 3 too. Paul says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what a dynamic equivalent translation would be of that verse? Roll up your sleeves and go to work in your relationships with one another. You've got to put your energy into your relationships. There's, there's work involved. So what, what is, the, what is the, the purpose of and the goal of our relationships? Why are they so important? Paul is giving us a vision and you're, you don't, You don't quite see it yet in verses 1 through 6, so I'm going to have to point you to a few other verses later on in the chapter. Look at verse 12. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace so that, look at verse 12, you might be built up. Uh, Verse 13, so that you might reach maturity, so that you won't continue to be immature. You'll mature. Uh, Verse 15, he says, so that you might grow up. And then again, verse 16, so that you might be built up. What What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that the reason you're to live out your Christian life in your own physical body in relationship with other people is so that you might be built up, so that you might grow up, so that you won't remain infantile and immature, so that you might become ultimately more like Christ himself. That's the goal. That's the goal. Take that goal now and begin to to plant it within the context of your relationships. Oh, the purpose of and the goal of my relationship with this person is so that I might become more like Christ in this relationship and that they might be more like Christ as a result of this relationship. Boy, that changes everything. That's a game changer. And here's why it is. Because what does it do for all your really, really good relationships? 
If you have good relationships, you're tempted to say, I'm just going to bask in all the good things in this relationship. And you lose sight of that growth agenda that God has. And pretty soon you begin to, to just live for the blessings and not for the blesser and the work of the blesser and what the work of the blesser God himself wants to do in that relationship. And it, it helps calibrate you as you think about your difficult relationships because isn't it real easy when you're in a difficult relationship to say, why, why bother? Why continue to hang in there? But if, if the goal and the purpose is conformity into the image of Jesus, it gives you this new ability to persevere because you have a glorious vision for what God is up to. Now, I know that there are very complex, complicated, abusive relationships, and that would take us a whole other talk to address. And there are other biblical guidelines, but I would even say in those relationships, God is doing something. He's never absent, all right? But in general, in all of our relationships, the good ones and the difficult ones, when we're experiencing blessings or when we're receiving difficulty, God is saying, all of this is coming about because I am accomplishing something greater than you even want. I am accomplishing something greater than your own personal happiness or your sense of self-fulfillment. I am accomplishing something called making you into the very likeness of my son, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I have to be really candid with you. That resonates with me right now. But I can lose sight of that in a second in a difficult conversation with my spouse. All of a sudden, it's, you know, I don't want to be more like Christ. Just let me be happy, you know? Let's just have some reciprocity here. We can lose sight of that. Oh, why... Why is, this, why is this so important? Well, let me, let me just illustrate on my own life. I, I've been married almost 25 years to my wife, Barbara. And I think both of us would say this, looking back on our wedding day. And I, I remember, you know, as I look back on our wedding day 25 years ago, if I'm honest with myself, both of us were young believers, uh, you know, relatively mature. Um, and I remember on my wedding day, looking at the end of the aisle as... Barbara's father was about to walk her down the aisle. And if I'm honest with myself, this is what was going on. All right, and tell me if if you can relate to this. And if you can't, because you haven't been married, when you get married, hopefully this will be a lesson to you. I remember looking down the end of the aisle, and if I'm honest with myself today, this is what I was saying. What I was saying, this is amazing. Isn't this a great day? Look at that beautiful woman about to come down the aisle. I love me. And she's about to come down the aisle and she's going to say that she loves me, right? I mean, if you're a businessman, that's a win-win. But, but, and, and then, you know, a half hour into the honeymoon, we're arguing over what bed and breakfast we're going to stay at. Or, you know, we're disappointed with one another because something didn't go the way we had planned. And, and immediately we're bumping into one another and, and we're having conflict and we're finding it difficult to relate to one another. What, what is God doing within the context of that relationship? Well, what he's doing in my life and what he's done for the past 25 years, he said, Tim, don't you see how shallow your love for another person is? You think you can love anybody. And I did. Before I got married, 
And when I lived by myself, a single guy, I thought I could love everybody and anybody. You know, put someone really, really close that I have to live with on a day-in-day basis, I'm rethinking it, right? What, what is God doing? He's saying, Tim, I'm revealing the shallowness of your love and your character and your need to grow. You're still immature. You're still infantile. You need to be built up. You need to grow up. And it's within the context of that relationship that God is accomplishing something. He is, he is, he is rescuing, from my, rescuing me from myself so that others get rescued from me. And he's doing that by making me more like Christ. That is why our relationships are so important. And as Paul and I speak throughout the weekend, that's, that's the glorious vision that, that God has in mind for us as we think about why, why do relationships? Why continue to persevere in this marriage? Why continue to pursue this, this child? Why continue to hang in there in this local church when so often it feels so frustrating? Because God is up to something more glorious than you can even imagine. He wants to ultimately, and he will, if you belong to him, turn you into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. I love John in John chapter 3. On that great day when he appears, we don't know what it's going to be like. And we don't have it all figured out. But this one thing we do know, when we see him, we will be like him. That's the vision. All right. What's the second thing you see here in this passage? The second thing are fundamental character qualities that are essential to relationships where we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. And I love where Paul starts. He doesn't start with speaking the truth in love. That's verse 15. He doesn't start with submit to whomever. That's over in chapter 5. What does he start with? He starts with very, very fundamental, basic virtues. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. Let me break those down for you. The first two in particular. Humility. What is, what is humility? Here's, here's a very practical, street-level definition of humility. Humility is the ability to take a look at your own sins and weaknesses and faults and shortcomings before you point out the sins and shortcomings and weaknesses and sins of another person. The Bible never says you, you can't do that. You can't speak into another person's life. That's verse 15, speak the truth in love. But humility starts with me, right? Um, I, I've, I've tried this. I, I, I do it less and less, and I, I hope I've, I've broken myself of it or God has broken myself myself from it but I remember on occasion I would approach my wife and I would say Barbara you know can you find some time in your calendar Um, there's some shortcomings and weaknesses and failures and sins that you're bringing into the marriage that are impacting the relationship and and I would just like to be able to sit down with you and have a conversation with you about that can you can you block out some time in your calendar yeah and that's what she would do to me she would laugh thankfully or or a wall would go up. Are you kidding me? But I, I, can, I can tell you every single time that I lead with this. Barbara, there's some sins and weaknesses and shortcomings and failings that I've been bringing into the marriage that I can tell have been impacting our relationship over the past week or two. Can, can you block out a, maybe, can we text a little bit? Talk about it? 
She says, text? Are you kidding me? I, I've, got a, I've got an entire afternoon. I'll take off work. I'll get a, a, a pot of coffee brewing and, and we've, got, we've got all day. I'm, I'm ready. I remember a situation where my son was angry with one of his siblings and he was just letting this younger sibling have it. And he ran down the stairs of the basement and me being the godly husband that I am, ran down the basement stairs after him, angry at him. But by God's grace, I got down to the bottom of the stairs and I, I saw what was happening. And I was able to say, you know what, Timothy? The same anger that you're struggling with right now with your sibling is the same anger that I'm struggling with right now with you. And you and I both need grace. Both you and I need help. Will you pray for me? Well, that was an entirely different interaction with my son. If I had gone down wagging my finger in his face, saying, how dare you do X, Y, and Z? I can't believe you're acting this way. As opposed to, I'm acting just like you, and I'm going to come down and chastise you while I'm acting just like you. Something's not right. Humility kicked in by God's grace in that moment and allowed me to say, wait a minute. Tim, you're doing the exact same thing. Lead with that. And it was a very different conversation. That's humility. Um, Paul says, not only humility, but gentleness. A gentle person. The King James uh, translates gentleness as meekness. And those of you who've grown up in church, you know, always used to hear the preacher say, meekness is not weakness, right? And the preacher was right. Meekness is not weakness. A great definition for gentleness or a gentle person is this. Someone who has their strengths and their gifts and all the good things about them. They're bridled by the gospel, bridled by the grace of Christ. So when they, when they exercise those gifts and that authority or those strengths, people feel empowered rather than manipulated. That's a gentle person. Um, you can probably break that down into multiple ways, but I'll tell you a, a practical uh, behavior of a gentle person is someone who encourages other people. When was the last time someone encouraged you? And I, I, I don't mean flattered you, okay, because people can mi- manipulate, but when, did, when was the last time someone genuinely encouraged you? Did you feel like they were trying to manipulate you and get power over you, or did you feel empowered. You felt empowered, didn't you? A gentle person encourages other people. I've got a lot to learn about this. I I, I realized this early on in my parenting. Um, When uh, my daughter was in her teens, my my oldest daughter was in her early teens, AOL, instant messaging was real popular back then. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that and you can remember the the computer whenever they get a message. I can't remember. Constantly I could hear that noise on the side porch. And I used to yell from the family room. Yeah, Hannah, you need to get off the computer. You've been on it long enough. You need to get off the computer. And the reason I would yell from the family room is it was much easier, right, than getting up and actually walking over to the, the side porch where the family computer was. And I wouldn't lose the chance of misplacing the remote control <laughs> or losing control of the remote control. But I would yell. And then I'd, you know, after a half hour, I'd walk on the side porch and I could just see her tighten up as I walked on the side porch. One time I walked on the side porch 
And I didn't say anything critical. I actually remember, don't even remember what I said. I said something encouraging to her, and it was almost as if she fell out of her chair. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute. This is my daughter, and her father just walked into a side porch where she is sitting, and he encouraged her, and she is shocked to unbelief. There is a problem with this picture. You know what my daughter should be doing when, I, when, when she hears my footsteps in the house? Here comes my dad again. You know, he's just, he's just encouraging me all the time. He, that's all he ever does. He encourages me left and right. I just get so sick and tired of hearing his encouragement. I wish he would stop encouraging me. She should be sickened by my encouragement that I, because I'm encouraging her so much. Right? Why? Why are people surprised when we speak a word of encouragement in the workplace, in our marriages? When was the last time we spoke a word of encouragement? Just highlighted something about someone, something that they did. Gentle people have power. And they use that power to empower others. And one of the ways that a gentle person does that is they encourage people. You see two other character qualities here. The character quality of patience and forbearing love. And there's probably uh, some nuanced difference. Patience is probably moving in the direction of how do you deal with uh, sinful offenses that you're called to overlook. You You don't confront every sinful offense. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's patience. Forbearing love is is probably not so much having to do with, you know, sinful patterns in people. It's probably just things that irk you. You know, maybe the way somebody laughs. You know, you forbear because you don't really like the way they laugh or the way they eat. You know, they smack their food or, um, you know, the way that they dress or how they clean or don't clean up after themselves. Now, those, are, those tend to be in the, the forbearing love kind of categories. But, but really, to, to, to boil it down quite simply, what does it mean to be patient and forbearing in love? Here's what it means. All right, watch this. You'll be glad you paid your money for this conference. <laughs> and uh, your spouse will be as well. Patient, patience and forbearing love means that you're humble and gentle with someone for a really, 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 really long time. I uh, counsel husbands and wives. Angry spouse comes in. Spouse has been living with angry spouse, frustrated. And they always want to get to Ephesians 5, right? We need to talk about Ephesians 5.22, and it's always, you know, one wanting one to submit to the other. And uh, I said, well, you know, we may get there, but let's start back at chapter 4. And uh, we talk about humility and gentleness, and they go away for a week. Angry spouse comes back. He's kind of angry when he comes in the door. And he says, you know what? I was humble and gentle with my spouse for one solid day. One solid, complete day. And they didn't appreciate it, and I just got ticked off. <laughs> I said, well, that, all right, well, that's a start. I, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. The Spirit's on the move here, right? We've got some work to do, but, but we're, we're getting somewhere. You know, let's try to stretch that out. Maybe two days, three days. And, and, and maybe, um, maybe when you fail to be humble and gentle, 
you're, you're turning around more quickly and you're, you're repenting and you're asking for forgiveness and, and you're doing that and you're actually establishing a new track record with your spouse over time so that they really believe that when you ask for forgiveness, you're not just trying to get off the hook, but you really are asking for forgiveness in a genuine way. See, that, that's what humility and, and gentleness is. Uh, or patience and forbearing love. It's being humble and gentle for a really, 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 really long time. Now, a third question. <clears throat> I hope that you understand tonight that I'm not describing Paul Tripp or Tim Lane when I rattle off those character qualities. Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. Uh, in fact, whenever I teach on this passage, whenever I see those those simple virtues, I, sometimes I cringe. My goodness, I've been a Christian for 30 plus years and I'm still struggling to be humble and gentle and patient and forbearing in love. And I promise you, I know you're, you're just like me, all right? You're just like me and, and that should be your experience right now. If it's not, you haven't been paying attention. When you hear humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love, you, you should not be raising your hand saying, you have just described me, Tim. Thank you. Finally, <laughs> would, you, would you tell my spouse or my close friend that that's me? That's what this passage is pointing to. This passage is not me. It's not you. Ultimately, it's not any of us in the room. But who does this passage point us to? And this begins to open a window into how we're going to be, begin to grow in these, these virtues. Who, who is this a picture of? Humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. It's a picture of Jesus. It's actually a picture of what Father, Son, and Spirit have conspired to do in our behalf to love us and redeem us. Think about this. Jesus humbled himself, right? He, of all people, had the right to point a finger from heaven or come down and point a finger in our face and say, you are a sinner. He had the right to do it, of all people. And what did he do? He humbled himself. And he said, I have not come to condemn, I've come to redeem. I've come to save the lost. So he humbles himself. And Jesus is gentle. Think about this. He's the second person of the Godhead. He's omnipotent. He created the universe. And what does he use that power to do? Does he use that power to squash us and judge us? No, he uses that power to live and suffer and die in our place, to cling to the cross with all of his might so that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to him. And then just begin to think about today. Yesterday, this past week, how many times has he exhibited patience and forbearing love to you in light of your many sins and shortcomings and failings, sins of omission and sins of commission, right? Just this relentless, patient, forbearing love as he, as he perseveres with you day in and day out. That, that's, that's a vision and a reality that will begin to capture your imagination much more than you saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus was humble, I should be humble. 
Jesus was gentle, I should be gentle. Jesus was patient and forbearing in love, I should be patient and forbearing love. All of that is true, by the way. It's just not completely true. Jesus is our example. But if you don't first start with him as your savior, Jesus is humble with me. He's gentle with me. He's forbearing and patient in love with me. And that doesn't lead to a simple cry out of a childlike heart, thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you treat me. If it doesn't lead to moments of celebration throughout any given day of any given week, there is no way you're going to muster up the energy to be a humble, gentle, patient, and forbearing love kind of person. It will only come about by the grace of Jesus. And then there's one other place in this passage, in case you're wondering, you know, if Paul leaves chapter 3 and he never reminds us of the gospel starting in chapter 4, but he doesn't. There's another indication of grace here at the end of uh, this chapter at uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. And I'll close with this. There are three persons referenced in verses 4, 5, and 6. Who are they? The Father, the Son, one Lord, and the Spirit. And Paul is saying that Christian community must be grounded in the triune God. Because God is triune, we are inextricably relational people. But more than that, because God is triune, we can enter into relationships in new and profound and miraculous ways because of what the Trinity endured so that we might be reconciled. The theologians talk about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They call it the perichoresis. Uh, it's, it's Latin, I think, for circle dance. And in eternity past, this is some kind of rich, heavy theology, so hang in there with me. In eternity past, what's happening in the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit? There's perfect love, unity, communion. They're reflecting one another's glory back over against the other. Perfect communion, perfect relationship. Jesus The second person of the Godhead. We don't understand the mystery of how all this plays out within our understanding of the Trinity, but he's hanging on the cross. And what does Jesus say? Calvin points this out in his commentary in Ephesians. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and what does he say? My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? We don't understand. It's a mystery, but there's something radical going on in that moment as Jesus, the God-man, dies on the cross And something violent is happening to the triune God. And it's happening. This this separation, this dissolution, whatever is happening there is happening because Father, Son, and Spirit purposed in eternity past to do this so that you and I might be welcomed into the Trinity. You know that when you become a Christian, you don't just have a relationship with Jesus. You get welcomed into that circle dance, Father, Son, and Spirit. You get brought into that rich communion. And anybody else that's connected to Jesus by faith is in that circle with you. We are, we are bound to one another in profound ways because of what the triune God has done. And it is, it is because we have been welcomed into the Trinity 
into relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit that enable us, enables us now to move out in relationship to one another and to have a glory, more glorious vision for even our great relationships. I want this relationship to be even better. How can this relationship move more in the direction of the two of us becoming more like Christ? And, and I'm not talking about doing unnatural things in your relationship and always feeling like you got to talk about Jesus. That's not what builds a, a mature Christian relationship, right? But it also enables you to persevere in those difficult relationships to say there's something greater and there's something more glorious going on here. I have been welcomed into relationship with the triune God and God is now calling me to persevere in this difficult relationship because something greater than my own personal fulfillment and happiness is at play here and is at stake. Our very sanctification as brothers and sisters in Christ being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ is at stake in every single one of our relationships. That's why they're so important. This is... This is a Christian vision of human community. You will not find this anywhere else. There's no other book on the planet that will talk about human community like this. Let's ask God by his grace to grow as God's people. We have a lot of growing to do, don't we? We're a, we're a, we're a, we're a messy bunch, right? We don't do it very well. We don't display this all that well. We need help. And, and so hopefully, just automatically tonight, can I just lead us in prayer as I close and, and just ask each of you, just for a moment, ask God to have mercy on you and by his grace so that, to, to see Father, Son, and Spirit, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing love for you, and that then out of that, God would enable you to exhibit those character qualities in your relationships with those around you. Let's just close in a, a time of quiet prayer and then I'll, I'll close this myself. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you alone be the glory. Father, we, um, we come, I, I, am, I am uniquely reminded as the deliverer of this message of the great chasm that exists between what's displayed in this passage in my own life and, and how far I have to grow. And I know my brothers and sisters, people here tonight are experiencing the same, but thank you that that we are welcomed and embraced by you because of what Jesus has done, even in the midst of our failures, even when we, we mess up. You welcome us, you embrace us, you love us, you empower us, you renew us, you cleanse us, and you, you encourage us to move out in ministry to those around us. Father, would you, beginning tonight and over tomorrow, continue through me and Paul to, to humbly communicate this wonderful Christian vision of human community, of, of Christian relationships, of friendships that are formed by the gospel of grace, by the grace of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.